0: This is Bloomberg Business of Sports. The world's changing and what are things we can do to, to transform our business and engage our fans globally in different ways?
1: People are using their name and likeness to create more opportunities, more stakes in companies. In order to turn the organization around, we have to turn it around not only just on the baseball operations side, but on the business operations
2: side. Football and any other sport is very difficult, but I like to broaden my horizons and be able to expand. Sports need to be consumed live, and that's a big competitive
1: advantage for intellectual property holders of sports content in the media landscape bloomberg business of sports from bloomberg radio Hello everyone, I'm Mike Lynch.
3: I'm Scarlett Fu and for Jason Kelly. Over the next hour, we're gonna explore the big money issues in the world of sports and talk to some of the biggest players in the industry. And today, I'm pleased to say we're going to be speaking with the VP of Basketball Operations and Team Council of the Boston Celtics and the Assistant GM, Mike Zarin, and the COO of Huddle, Matt Mueller.
1: All right, so I'm going to jump right in. Uh, This is Mike to Mike. Mike Zarin and I grew up in the great town of Swampscott, about 10 miles north of Boston, and a great place to be in the summertime and year-round. Mike, uh, welcome to the show, and Matt, welcome to the show as well.
2: It's an honor to be on with the Swampscott legend.
1: (laughs) You're too kind. Matt, let me start with you as COO of Huddle. Uh, I've been familiar with it for years, uh, dealing with high school athletes uh, looking for specifically football, looking for highlights. It made my life so much easier. Uh, tell me uh, about this marriage with the NBA. Now you got 29 out of 30 teams, I think, uh, involved in Huddle.
0: Yeah, you bet. So I think most people's first experience with Huddle is really through high school American football, whether it's you know using it themselves as an athlete or a coach, or you know even more often you know seeing a you know their son or daughter or a nephew or a neighbor, you know. Working through Huddle, but the beauty of what we built with Huddle was a solution that really helped teams find value out of the combination of video and data. And as we grew, uh, we looked to grow into you know more sports than just American football and, and basketball was a natural logical step for us. And when we worked with you know basketball teams at all levels, NBA is obviously a natural draw for us. And so we really put a strong focus on finding tools that would help us you know deliver a lot of value for for NBA teams. So it started with a product called Sports Code, uh, but it's expanded to be so much more from there into. You know, helping them find content from across the world, but also, you know, automate capture, look at instant replay, uh, and continue to find more value out of data and video. And uh, it's been it's been exciting for us to to reach that kind of uh, level of interest in NBA teams, and we're excited for what we continue to build for them.
3: And Huddle started off as a basketball-specific product, and it's kind of really expanded to cover all kinds of different things. Mike Zarin, explain to us how the Boston Celtics use Huddle in, in the most basic form and in the most complicated form.
2: Well, I mean, it's both basic and complicated at once. It's pretty easy to describe. On our bench, we've got a guy who's coding the game and in our video room at the same time. And they've got, you know, Huddle Sports Code software. And we've been using that for, I don't know how long now, 10, 15 years as our main video capture recording and distribution platform for NBA games. And, you know, you can imagine all the different kinds of video edits that we might need to do that we give to the players after the game on iPads, that we show in the locker room at halftime, or even you know more recently with some NBA rules changes that our coaches are looking at on the bench to see if we should challenge a call in real time. So that software platform has been hugely useful for our coaching staff for a long time, and they continue to innovate and provide great support for it. So we're, we're happy to be great partners
1: of theirs. So Mike, let me follow up on that. Uh, so when Brad was the coach, now he's he's in the front office, obviously. Would he uh, signal into the locker room, look, I want to look at uh, when, when they went to a zone here. I want to look when they went to a full court man-to-man press at halftime. I want to make a de- a, a demonstrate how we need to fix and break this press or this trap. Uh, or does he just walk in there at halftime and just hit fast forward and go to wherever he wants to go?
2: No, 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 they've got it all queued up. So during the game, you know, the coaches will be taking notes about which plays to tag, and you can sort of live tag those um, on the bench in in that software. And then, uh, you know, I'm not in too many coaches' meetings at halftime. You mostly want to let them do their jobs. But, you know, they'll have it narrowed down to ten clips and then cut out five or six of those so that they've got the five or six to show at halftime, and it's all pretty seamless. You don't really have time, you know, at halftime to suddenly be editing the video then. But one of the beauties of this product, um, I don't want to be too much of a sales pitch, but one of the beauties of the product is how easy it is to cut video and pick the particular edits that you need to show in really quick time.
3: Yeah, customize things very quickly. Matt Mueller, um, Lynchy was just saying how 29 out of 30 NBA teams use Huddle. Who's a lone holdout and what are they using instead?
0: Well, there's a there's a <laughs> team in Dallas that uh, that doesn't use us for their in-game analysis from Sportscode, but they do they do actually buy a variety of other products from us. You know, Mike was talking about uh, Huddle Sportscode and how you know teams can use it to code events, and, and they use a you know a different piece of software for that, um, but they do buy. Um, other software pieces that allow us to, you know, help their front office analyze players, you know, whether it's draft prospects or free agency that allow them to, you know, more effectively bring together content pieces and, and make decisions in that world. So when we talk about, you know, that core piece of software, that, that linchpin of what they do every day, it's, it's that sports code software. And, you know, we're excited about, you know, the 20 or of 30 NBA teams that do use this. Us.
1: Hey, Mike Zarin, uh, when I think analytics, I think of uh, baseball teams, and I think of Theo Epstein in the basement over at Fenway Park, uh, you know, 10, 15 years ago with his uh, little crew there. How does basketball use analytics, and how does it marriage with huddle work?
2: So, you know, it's amazing how much our world has changed since I started as an intern in 2003. There wasn't anyone really doing full-time basketball statistics work then. And I was one of the lucky enough to be one of the first. Uh, Danny really took a chance on me back then. And, you know, for a long time, we just sort of had the box score to go off of. Basketball is really different from baseball. You know, I've had a few conversations with Bill James, and every time I tell him how easy they have it, he laughs at me. But, uh, you know, the. the uh, Baseball, it's all a sequence of individual events. A guy throws a pitch, it goes somewhere, and then someone either hits the swings or not, and they hit it or not, and then it goes somewhere. The players interact occasionally on the base pass, um, but it's not you know particularly complicated the way the players interact with each other. In basketball, there's just so many more things happening at every moment during the game, and the players are crashing into each other and interacting with multiple other players in any given play. And so when you look at... Um, The set of things that coaches talk about in basketball, you can't look at a box score of a game and know what happened in the game, Mm. right? You can see, uh, you know, Jason Tatum had 25 points, but that doesn't really let you picture anything about what happened in the game. And so when I started, it was really difficult to, you know, really have a major—you know, there were some low-hanging fruit, but it was hard to have a major impact— Just because, you know, I thought I knew a bunch about basketball. My dad had Celtic season tickets growing up. I would watch, uh, you know, either Lynchy or or Bob Lobel every night and see what what happened to the game. Uh, um, You know, there's great wars between the Boston TV stations back then. But uh, I, I, I showed up at my first practice as an intern. And the coaches were speaking a language. I played high school basketball, but for a, a weird little school, and I barely knew what was going on watching the practice, all the things they were talking about. So one thing that we've done that I think we're actually ahead of baseball in doing this, although they're catching up to us now, is we were the first team in the NBA in 2010 to install a system of cameras in the rafters at the Garden to track the players' movements X and Y at 30 frames a second and the ball X, Y, and Z. So we have up and down on the ball and just the dots moving around the court for the players and now we actually know when someone sets a screen how good they are at it where it was what was the outcome you know before we the coaches would talk about that stuff and and the data we had just didn't keep track of all those things so the world has really changed drastically and what's come with that is you know a single season of that data is like three billion cells of data Across the whole NBA, every team has it now. The league put it in for all the teams in all the arenas in 2015. And we get the data from every game, and we've got to process it overnight and you know have it available for our coaching staff the next morning or our front office whenever we need to make decisions. And so that level of complexity is just a whole new world. You can't just come out of college with a basic statistics degree and know how to deal with continuous motion spatial data at 30 frames a second over 2,000 games a year. So
1: No, they you know, don't teach that in college. New- <laughs> yeah,
2: no. Uh, there's some colleges that do teach that now, but it's a more recent thing. And so, you know, NBA teams didn't weren't hiring PhDs in machine learning when I started, and now that's not so uncommon as odd as that may seem. But if you want to have the best information, you got to be able to deal with that data now. So it's really the, the world has really changed drastically with regard to basketball stats and we still have so much we can learn because we still only have five or six years really of the whole league of this data. And um You know, we don't have full careers for a lot of guys. We don't have anything from college or overseas of this complexity. And there's a lot of guys, you know, everyone entering the NBA comes from one of those places. So there's still a lot more we'd love to do. But the the basketball stats world is drastically, drastically different than it was in 2003. And I think it will continue to get more complex.
3: And I think that's interesting, this idea that um, things have gotten more complex over the last 10, 20 years. Matt, you guys work a lot with high school teams, with college teams. So you have a lot of student athletes who are familiar with uh, what Huddle does and the software and being able to break apart plays and do some analysis on specific plays. How do you see those student athletes graduating to college athletes and pro athletes kind of Requiring and needing that level of analytics and that level of uh, technology as they further their careers.
0: Yeah, I think just the the it's it's really similar sort of what Mike said. The the baseline of an athlete that's come in has just changed in terms of their you know technological needs or technological needs or or their expectations uh, of what uh, of what a team should have. When you when we talk to basketball teams now, um, you know. 10, 20 years ago an athlete may watch video they may watch a VHS tape right you know, if for anyone who watched uh, you know the last dance you saw Michael Jordan watching uh, you know VHS tapes and just think about now an athlete would expect um, you know playlists specific to their upcoming opponent uh, delivered to their cell phone oftentimes you know on you know before they board the plane to the next flight uh, or on their drive home and and they want to think about you know how can they start preparing right away for their upcoming opponents and and you're right, there's, You know the technological needs are bigger, and the data needs are also bigger. Uh, and our whole job with Huddle and as we partner with teams is to to find, you know, how do we deliver actionable insights that are simple and digestible from that data? Because your players aren't going to be a Ph.D. in machine learning, and you can't just give them positional data. You need to give them data in digestible chunks, you know, that, that can tell them what to do when they see something happen on the court and uh, and how they can, you know, react to – you know, what their opponents are doing and, uh, and the opportunities that are available to them. And, and really that's where we target and, and how we think we can deliver a lot of value for, you know, for the back office is helping simplify that data and turn that into, you know, solutions for them right away on the, you know, on the court.
1: Go ahead.
2: We have so many players now who, who are, are shocked. Um, well, they're not shocked. They want this data
1: instantly mm. after
2: the game. And that was definitely not the case when I started. They've been conditioned by Huddle to need it. Mm. That's really good.
1: That was going to be my question. How receptive are the players? Uh, usually nobody wants to see themselves on film because it, it always looks worse than you would even imagine it was when you were actually playing in real time. But now you throw in these, this, this data and this analytics, and that's a lot for them to digest. You
2: know, one thing I think that's a relatively common misconception about um, – you know, stats uh, in in basketball is that everybody has to become a statistician to understand them. I think most of our messages to the players sound very similar to the messages we would have delivered 20 years ago. They're just better informed, right? So we're more sure that we're right about telling, you know, someone to go under a screen or or send someone to his left hand. Um, It's still basketball. The rules are still the same. They're still playing the same game. And so you know the types of messages you might deliver to a player about what to do haven't changed that much now there's some players who are more interested in more advanced things and for them um you know Brian Scalabrine is a good example he was one of the first guys to really want more numbers on the team and maybe it's just because he had more time on his hands because he wasn't playing as much <laughs> I'll take I'll take I I'll take, I'll take there it happens to be listening to this but, but uh <laughs> you know, with guys like that you just have to make sure that they know what if a guy's only taken five threes you know and he hit three of them, it doesn't mean he's a sixty percent three point shooter so um, we spend a lot of time actually teaching coaches who also aren't generally stats guys and players what information not to look at. that's almost as important as knowing what information to look at
3: I think that's fascinating because you're right you can you can drown and go drown in all the data and you can go down rabbit holes really quickly if you don't distill it to what is the most relevant um Matt, I want to get a sense from you as well. Obviously, you have these relationships with 29 out of 30 NBA teams, and and these are are steady clients. But um, in terms of your business with high school teams and college teams, many of which canceled or truncated their seasons over the last two years because of the pandemic, what was business like overall?
0: You know, the the reality is COVID was really challenging for people. But um, looking just across, you know, the high school landscape, 78% Seventy-eight percent of high uh, states played sports on uh, a slightly modified schedule uh, and played, you know, in the normal season. So football happened in the fall. It may have started a few weeks later than normal and ran a little longer, but almost everyone played. Uh, and really, across the U.S., um, what we saw is most most um, high schools ended up playing their season. Again, it might have been in a different a different time window. Right, if you look at California when they were playing football in March, it felt different uh, for a lot of those athletes, but they did it. Um, and, uh, and really, we saw that same thing at most, uh, most of our teams across the world. You know, we're not just in the U.S. We serve, um, you know, teams across. We serve 40 different sports across 80 different countries. Uh, so we got a really good feel for what it looked like. And while there were some teams that, you know, canceled or shortened their seasons, most teams uh, across the world, uh, especially in the elite uh, level of sport, right, the professional teams across the world, they found a way to play. Uh, and so huddle was really important for them in terms of staying connected to their team when they were at home. Uh, when they couldn't have team meetings in person or when their, you know, the facility was closed, being able to stay connected with their athletes and find ways to communicate around, you know, upcoming opponents or just off-season training schedules, uh, Huddle took a whole new uh, form of communication for them.
1: And so, Matt, let me follow up on that. Uh, can high school teams monetize? Uh, I, I, I assume you have some fixed cameras at some places that they don't even have They don't even have to be manned and that people can just sort of, it's live streaming. Is that right?
0: Yeah, we actually provide that at all levels. Um, but uh, at the high schools, uh, we provide them the ability to live stream, and they can choose to monetize that if they want, or they can make it free to connect to their fans. Again, that was really important over this last year, as uh, you know, many many fans weren't able to attend games. Uh, we run uh, a different version, but the same type of automated system for you know NBA teams. Uh, you know, and it, it's funny we actually provided in the French basketball leagues uh, where the Boston Celtics you know just drafted someone over this last year, and that content isn't something you'll just. You know, find by osmosis. So being able to automatically stream it, not have a camera person there available for you, but have it immediately drop into your tools and get analysis from it right away or make it available for, you know, the scouting platform, uh, or just, you know, for your fans has is, is been something that's been really popular for us uh, over the last last couple of
3: years final question here to Mike Zarin and I'm going to um you know touch upon the the Boston love that you and Lynchy share here as a native of <laughs> Swampscott, and you mentioned how uh you grew up uh, a, a Celtics fan you start off as this inpaid intern 14 years ago um season tickets I mean I imagine that you are not the first person and you won't be the last person to work for the team that you grew up rooting for but I, I wonder was that transition hard for you to 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 work for a team that you grew up loving and needing to use your head, not your heart, uh, to make decisions that uh, might be painful in the short term but are good in the long term?
2: I mean, you know, it's funny. I've I've kept... Um, my, my dad's had these tickets, as, you know, before I was born at the old arena and then at the new arena, and um, I've been insistent that during home games, and it's one of the worst things about this past year was, was not being able to do this, But but during home games... Um, I sit up in the balcony near the back with him in the same seats we've always sat in. And I right. probably shout some things that would get me in trouble with the NBA. Um, <laughs> so up, up up there, we know everyone and it's all friends. And, uh and that sort of enabled me to continue just being a, a big fan of the team. Um, I got myself in a little trouble this past year, just cause I was the only Celtics fan in the arena for some of our games, because there weren't <laughs> any fans and I'm sitting there courtside, to kind of, like restrain myself. But, uh, you know, I, I think that the beauty of being a sports fan is, um, you want the team to do well. And I, I think, you know, Danny and, and doc and now Brad, um, I've all sort of realized that I'm, I'm a crazy fan, but I am also wanting the team to do really well. It's not about me ever. And so, um, you know, if you think you're doing what's right for the team's success, and we've had some success, um, it's not hard to, to be a fan also. Um, you know, the championship rings got from 08 has got my dad's last name on it too. Um, and so, you know, that, that moment um, made anything I had to give up, you know, any naivety I had about, about from being on the outside giving that up wasn't so hard because uh, i got to be a part of the team's success and it's just been i've been so lucky um can't believe our our owners and and danny took a, a chance on me when i i wasn't really a basketball guy and so um it's i i feel totally blessed every day to have this job
3: i love that answer and staying true to yourself and i, I wish we could have one of the huddle cameras uh capture you up in the rafters <laughs> making those <laughs> comments <laughs> Yeah, we definitely don't. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I want to thank our guest, Mike Zarin, Assistant GM, VP uh, of Basketball Operations, Team Council of the Boston Celtics, and Matt Mueller, COO of Huddle. You have been listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports. We are here every week at the same time. And of course, we're online uh, wherever you get your podcasts. You can catch those Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. I'm Scarlett Foo, and on Twitter, I'm at Scarlett Foo.
1: And I'm Mike Lynch. You can follow me at GoSwampScot, by the way, at LynchyWCBB. You're listening to Bloomberg Business and Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world.